Okay, welcome everybody to the XX Mormon Podcast. I am uh, Bishop Jensen, and today I am joined by none other than the great apostate himself, Korahor. Um, Elder Jackson is not able to join us today, uh, so it'll just be the two of us. Um, Korahor comes to us from the uh, the promised land itself, Utah, um, and he's an active member of Thrive After Religion, right? Did I get that? That's the name of the community? Yeah, Thrive Beyond Religion. Yeah. Thrive Beyond Religion. There we go. So you uh, are leading a local chapter uh, in your area of Utah. Is that correct? That's correct. And um, I think other than Cedar City, we're the only Thrive Beyond Religion chapter, at least in Utah. In Utah, that's rural, but I think over I, I I'm like 85% sure overall as well out of dozens of groups. So, okay, awesome. So we're gonna get into Korahor's story a little bit, um, his life in the church, how he came out of the church, and then uh, talking about thrive beyond religion um, as a way to kind of move on from from a faith crisis. Sounds good. Thank okay. you again for yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Korahor, uh, the Antichrist, why don't you tell us how your, your life in the church got started? Yeah, so I uh, grew up, I was born in, you know, a Salt Lake Hospital and, and grew up in Davis County from three years old to, to college and mission. And um, so just grew up as a conservative LDS uh, kid and uh, went on a mission to New Jersey. Um, I, I was really proud of my top proselyting award that I got a couple times, and now that's like unfortunate. It's, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I had that typical upbringing, and then um, got married in the Salt Lake Temple, which I, you know, for me at least, it was definitely like you know go to like the uh you know the uh the, the like the crowning temple you know yeah right and <laughs> and where where i heard uh i remember a, a mission uh a, a fellow missionary saying that he'd heard that maybe the ark of the covenant had been in the holy of holies in <laughs> so um so yeah did just just was like the most stereotypical uh, lds person for sure and then on July 12, 2015, I read the CES letter. I'd heard about it in the news uh, for for a few months and um, just was wanted to know um, what I, if, if I didn't, I didn't know how, if I was missing out on a ton, I didn't think I knew everything, but I, um, but I definitely was interested in what I, I didn't know. And, um, and, 32 pages in, I just was totally shocked by what I'd uh, experienced and I, or what I was reading. And, and I just like felt a total vertigo, uh, not knowing up from down, like a woman in um, the ABC documentary, Mormon, no more said mm -hmm. um, just for, for reading that exact same document, just completely just feeling uh, feeling vertigo and and um, and not knowing, not no, not having like any sense of of um, up from down. So, so I just tried to wash the dishes to get my mind off of it, but I couldn't. So I just took my garments off that afternoon and um, just 
have all have have been completely out, out of belief um, since then in in Mormonism. And then I I read eight or nine church history books like No Man Knows My History and um, an insider view of Mormon origins for to give two examples. And they just confirmed everything that the CES letter said. What and, what things in the first thirty pages of the CES letter were were really shocking for you? The rock in the hat was the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I actually did therapy just because I was fixating on the rock so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we did therapy to to address that issue. And I, her name was Chelsea Robinson. She gave me the therapy for free. It was really incredible. So I really appreciate her. Um, and um, that so that was huge. Also, I didn't know. Well, I knew about polygamy. I didn't know about polyandry. I didn't know that Joseph Smith had around 11 women that were other men's wives. And I also didn't, I'd heard whisperings about a 14 year old girl, but I didn't know that there was two and there was around 11 women um, that were between 14 and 18 years old, which was still really young, even for that time, Um, much too young. And so those, yeah, those were a few things. the 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 details of the of the polygamy that are disturbing, I, I had no idea about. Um, so I've got. We did an episode. This is one of our first few episodes. It'd be in our first twenty. It was called "How Crazy Is Too Crazy," and so one kind of question that I had in my mind for people when they leave the church, um, like I always knew about polygamy, and so when I found out about polyandry. It wasn't much more crazy than the the polygamy, so I just kind of shrugged my shoulders about it. Um, so what you know, you you know about polygamy kind of growing up, you know it's always been there. What made polyandry so much more shocking than the polygamy you already knew about? Well, I I just thought that maybe like the other women were, I well I didn't even consider that they would have been married to other men. It's like mm-hmm. if if you want to get married, and even if you believe in plural marriage, that's one thing. Still don't like it at all. But um, but then to to take married women mm-hmm. is a different is a different thing. Um, I'm not sure if I have much more to say I, other than I guess I just didn't consider that they were anything except for single women prior to prior to him marrying them. Okay, so I know, yeah. Like, I know I was always taught, or at least I was taught when I was younger, like, oh, polygamy was only for widows and single women who could never get married. So is that kind of the the stories you were told about polygamy as well, that kind of whitewash it or make it more palatable? Yeah, that that's definitely um, that's definitely something I heard. Um, the The biggest one was it's it's in the Old Testament. So what's the big deal? It's, you know, this is the. This is the uh, this is the this is God's order of marriage that we're just that's we're just continuing, um, and that's Joseph Smith's justification in DNC 132, right? So, mm-hmm. but but the, but then I've about a year ago I was like, well, I mean I didn't believe in the Old Testament before that either, but it only like furthered that belief beyond cementing it that well then the Old Testament is bunk too then because mm-hmm. I, polygamy just doesn't have any any place. I mean, it's just, it's really abhorrent. And so, 
But yeah, I, I, I definitely heard that as kind of a secondary justification. Mm-hmm. And so what were some of the details you learned about polygamy that you mentioned like disturbing details as you learn more about polygamy, uh, any of them that you remember? Yeah, I remember that. Um, I remember reading in No Man Knows My History that uh, Fanny Alger was one was one of the fourteen year olds, and that Joseph Smith had sex with her in a barn, mm-hmm. and that Oliver Cowdery caught them, and Oliver Cowdery, even though he was like right, like uh, one of the people who helped Joseph helped come up with the Book of Mormon with Joseph Smith. Even he said that it was a dirty, nasty, filthy affair. Mm-hmm. And that's a direct quote. And mm-hmm. so I was like, wow, like even his inner circle found that he was doing, you know, really terrible, terrible things. Um, and then uh, Helen Mark Kimball was, I remember her name specifically as the other 14 year old girl. Um, and then I remember reading Mormon Enigma which actually was like a 10th, ninth, ninth or 10th book that I read probably about a year ago. And um, he, 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 he had no, it doesn't seem like he had any intention. In fact, it seems clear that he had, didn't have any intention of telling Emma Smith about what he was doing because she learned it through um, like Relief Society sisters. And then she confronted him about it. And only at that point did he's like, yeah, and then, you know, and then after that, he goes on to be like, in canonized scripture, being like, you'll be destroyed if you don't do this, mm-hmm. you know, and um, she was, and she only accepted it, at least for a time, because she said, like, she, she had to pick, she's like, well, then I'm going to choose the women. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, she never liked it. I mean, she obviously didn't go with Brigham Young and the, the Joseph Smith, the third church that she joined, they didn't, they didn't do it. And. In fact, didn't even accept that he that Joseph Smith did it for a while for quite a while. So, so um, oh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought here. Um, I know, yeah, like learning about polygamy. That's one thing where that was a, a major issue for my wife. Um, and so I started learning more about it, and I just kind of came to a point where I dug so far, I started digging into Utah polygamy, and it's like. This isn't getting any better. The further I dig, the the worse it gets. There's there's no diamond in this mine that I'm going to find that all of a sudden makes polygamy make sense or or sound good. And the more I learn about it, the more controlling it gets. Just the crazier it gets. Right? Um, yeah. There was one. I think it was George Q. Cannon who was talking about like the young missionaries in England. And he's saying, you guys all go there and marry, you know, pick the best girls for yourselves, but you should bring all the young girls back here. And then we should all have a look at them before you guys, you know, take, take the best of them. And I was just like, this is, you know, like, is it, that's not one you've heard before. I have not. Right. So like the more you learn about it, the worse it gets. (laughs) Like there's not going to be one story about polygamy where you hear it and say, do you know what? This all makes sense now. I understand why they did it. This is all totally justifiable, and I can see it as being part of the Lord's plan. It's just like the more you learn about it, the more stories you exchange with people, the, the crazier and worse it gets. Exactly. 
Yeah, yeah Dorsey Cannon's part of my priesthood line of authority, unfortunately. Oh, is he? It might have been he. It might have been Heber C. Kimball. Like I can't remember. I know it was one of those two because they were both early mission missionaries in England, and uh, and and so I know it was one of those two. I just can't remember which one. Oh, if it yeah. is Dorsey Cannon, it's more than it's, fine. It's, but... <laughs> it's part of your part of your history of the church. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so basically, so it, like, did you have any issues in, in the back of your mind before you read the CES letter? Just because it sounds like you made a, you were very, very decisive after you read it. And I know lot, lots of people need to take some time to fully peel back all the layers of Mormonism before they finally take the plunge. Like, what made you so decisive? I, so yeah, I, I was, it was like, I was totally believing, totally in, definitely said some asshole things, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as a, that I regret now as a result of being an LDS person. Um, I was probably non-conservative LDS. I'm into politics a lot, so I say, but for about a year, but I mm -hmm. still was very believing. I remember in 2012 making a Facebook post that upset people that said that um, just knowing I guess I had known that Brigham Young had so 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 many wives, and was and was a, and was racist, but that didn't. Um, so I put made a post in 2012, being like BYU should change their name, mm -hmm. um, but that that still did not mean that by any sense that I did not believe. I just viewed that as like an institutional thing that needed to change, right? Okay. Not at all having to do with anything as a matter of doctrine and scripture and faith, etc. So. So I, um, and you know, and the, the church public relations department would put out statements as absurd as the one that they made a couple of days ago regarding the hotline, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'd hang on to every word. And so, um, and, and, and so I was, yeah, I was fully, I was fully, fully in. It's just, I trusted what Jeremy Reynolds had to say, um, and so, yes, I did read books to confirm, but as I, I have a degree in journalism, I've been a journalist. And so one thing I really believe in is a statement of, it's actually Ronald Reagan that said it. He said, trust, but verify. Mm -hmm. And so, and so that's how I go about any information I get. And, and that was the same way with the CES letter. Mm -hmm. And then I, and then, it, and then it was verified. Um, and so uh, I definitely still had so much trauma for about three and a half years following July 12th, 2015, um, as I was, um, just because, you know, I was verifying and, and it takes time to, um, mm -hmm. to get over it, especially when other, there's other, you know, it impacts other aspects of your life too. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like in terms of verification, like you started reading other books, or you started going into the footnotes, or, or uh, kind of how'd you verify? I'm just I ask this as a curious as a curiosity because people always talk about going to the primary sources, and I'm just like I don't even know where the heck to find half of them, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Well, I just read I just I read independent books on 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 church on LDS church history, so I read. No Man Knows My History. I read Insider's View of Mormon Origins. I read mm -hmm. um, books like that. And it just, it like, um, 
what Jeremy Ronald's put together is very, um, very airtight. You know, mm-hmm. it's very. The arguments are very sound. The information can be verified, and he and he does have footnotes. His footnotes mm-hmm. are immense. Um, D. Michael Quinn's books. I read mm-hmm. like three of those, um, and so a lot of what I read was actually what Jeremy Ronald's uh, has in his footnotes. You know. Right. Um, or, or even more direct, and I and I might be misspeaking there because I think it, I think the I think the reference I think his uh, his attributions are extremely solid, and mm-hmm. so, um, and so I, I don't think you can be like oh there isn't that sort of that sort of backing. It's um, and so it was, um, it just further further cemented the the view the the information that I believed through the trust that I displayed when I read the CES letter, um, and if I may also take a step back and regarding what shocked me, another thing that was huge, huge, huge was how many books that relate to the Book of Mormon, like mm-hmm. the information is similar that were available to Joseph Smith. Yeah, like. Um, View of the Hebrews providing that premise of the Jews coming across from the Middle East across the ocean of this continent, um, and 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 like you know there it's it's the premise is just like the Lamanites, um, and so that really surprised me too. I was like, okay, that's um, I I don't I I still don't think that plagiarism completely explains it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but but now I go okay. So what did he what did he do then? Like I'll say that he maybe had a great imagination. Um, that he, you know, as he was as he had his face in a hat, he was you know coming up with a great story. But that doesn't make obviously that that's still not real and um, and is just made up. And and the plagiarism is is huge. I was really amazed, and it made and it made total sense. Like okay. Yeah, he he was using information available to him. It seems, you know, almost certain. For, so. for sure, it makes me think more of like like I think plagiarism is kind of like a, it creates a minefield because it's not a direct plagiarism, and so the apologists seem to have a field day of that. But it reminds me of like bullet time in the Matrix, like yeah. the Wachowskis come up with bullet time as a filming technique. And then all of a sudden you see it everywhere. And we can yeah. all say, we all know where it came from. You know, yeah. at least if we grew up in in the nineties, we know where bullet time came from. We can see its fingerprints all over action movies today, but you can't say that they plagiarized the matrix. You, you know, we can't say that action movies plagiarized the matrix, but we can see its fingerprints all over the place. I think right. like a similar, um, was 300 and what the movie 300 did for like blue screen and green screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start seeing that being used in a lot more action and sci-fi movies and in the Marvel movies are almost completely on green screen sets. Whereas when, when, uh, when they did that with 300 and, and I think like the spirit and a couple other movies that came out around that time, it was new, but now we see its fingerprints all over action movies. We can't yep. say that it's a plagiarism, but you can see how these things have all influenced um, influenced modern movies. Um, and that's what I think it is with, with like things like View of the Hebrews or The Late War is that Joseph Smith didn't rip anything directly from the pages and do direct quotes. But you can see 
the fingerprints of those ideas are all over the Book of Mormon. Yeah, I think that's fair. Except, although I, I do, I do think with the Bible, like I remember as a kid. Well, yeah, the Bible's a direct copy paste for sure. And, and what's and what's even more absurd is that there are error, as Mormon doctrine makes very clear, there are errors in the Bible, mm -hmm. and there are errors in the passages that are from the Bible that are in the Book of Mormon. And so mm -hmm. Joseph Smith was a prophet who knew how to how to how to purify the the things that have been corrupted. Then why are those errors in the Book of Mormon mm -hmm. <laughs> text? Right. You know? so yeah. but yeah, great point. Great point about those films. It makes me think of this. This is my geekdom coming out, but. Short, uh, the opening crawl of Star Wars that comes from Flash Gordon, yeah, um, telling a new hope through the through the lens of R two D two and C three PO is like how this story in um, the Hidden Fortress was told through the the eyes of two peasants. Mm -hmm. So you you build on the shoulders of giants for sure, but the problem is is that Star Wars and the Matrix and and movies they're not claiming to be like God's truths, you know? Truth, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um. Yeah, so it's a different. There's a different expectation that's set up, and I'm glad you mentioned the Matrix also because I, I since I was out of the church at that point, I in Thanksgiving of 2017, I watched I watched the Matrix for the first time, and when the red pill blue pill moment comes, I right. was like, oh, like not only was I like, oh, that's where that comes from, but I was like, that's that's what it was for me reading the CES letter. I mm -hmm. I chose to take the red pill, so. And I had the sense of okay, if I like like um, Keanu Reeves' character does, like if I if I decide to read this or not, it could change my life, you know, because I'd mm -hmm. heard about how it did that for other people. Right. Um, so then you decide to leave the church, and um, things in your life fall apart a little bit. It sounds like we don't need to go into great deal detail on these things, but. It sounds like you had some ups and downs leaving the church. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably the best way for me to say that is that you have, that you hear horror stories, um, you hear like the worst, you know, the worst of the worst um, in terms of your very personal life. And that's um, what happened for me. Um and that, uh, well, I mean, yeah, you, um, the, this, 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 uh, cult does, um, impact you in the, in the most personal ways. I mean, it does even for believers to an extent, like, right. Like requiring a husband to keep a secret from their wife in terms of their new name. Like that's just, I think that alone shows that this is an unhealthy Mm -hmm. religion but um but yeah i did that i will talk about the employment issue i remember working at the daily herald in provo mm -hmm. um and the first day i walked in the executive editor said that she was like questioning me if i could work with practicing lds people she said well most of us here are lds that's gonna be all right you know and that was fine like that no problem at all Mm -hmm. Never has been an issue since day, you know, since the first day I read the CES letter. But, um, but that made me concerned. And then two days later, day three, I was, I was the city city editor was telling me was conveying a message from. Um, well, he was talking with me about concerns by the uh, by the owner of the paper called the publisher. 
and he who didn't even reimburse me for gas as they promised. It's like, but he, uh, but he said, um, like my, my job was being threatened on by day three. And then when I was given the exit, it was like sat down and was being told that they were terminating me that that same executive editor who was confronting me about regarding Mormonism on day one was saying, you know, you're not a fit with our culture. And, um, and also the city editor on day one or two was he like reworded, rewrote part of an article, part of a crime story. Cause my job was to cover crime. Um, to make the church look better, um, and and also I remember like there was another staff member talking with the person who covers the LDS covers the LDS church really gives a po- positive publicity, but um, they were talking about why bad things happen or something along those lines and. And she she quoted like that temple line about how there's like tyrants who destroy and reign with blood mm-hmm. and horror on the earth, and I was like, yeah, that was day one. And I was like, what have I gotten myself into here? Um, I was happy to tolerate it, but um, but yeah, there definitely were a couple of remarks that I've mentioned here that were directly towards me that made me go, uh, you know, I this is um, this is a this is not a, this probably isn't going to work out for somebody who's an outspoken ex-Mormon, but it shouldn't be that way. It's a newspaper. It's freedom of thought should be, should be allowed. But, um, so I, if, if it's happening, if issues like that are happening at newspapers, mm-hmm. um, I have, you know, when Dustin Lance Black, the director of Under the Banner of Heaven says that, says that people lose work in the Salt Lake Valley because of, um, because they leave the church. Leave the church, yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 I know that happens from personal experience. So the like the what crime were you covering? It, do you mind telling a little bit about that story where you're covering a crime and they want you to put a more positive spin on the LDS Church? I have Are you allowed to. to? Um, yeah, I can. If I the, the trick is, I have to remember the details because that was four and a half years ago. Okay. Um, it's yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> it was, it wasn't like a bishop committed a crime or something. Although obviously that happens, but it was just going to the optic, right? Like the way that it came off was that it was going to look like the ch- the church was at fault. In that case, um, when I say I covered crime, what I meant was I didn't because it was the like first day. I didn't write that story. But I just, um, the city editor was just showing me, like okay. how we want to go, how we want to approach okay. that crime story, right? And I'm like, that's. Um, but the, what was weird is that it, since it didn't directly relate to the church, that made it even weirder to me that that he felt like he needed to, you know, rewrite rewrite anything to make the church look more. Um, to look better. And yeah, for sure. Like, obviously we know the sort of demographics that are in Provo and, and Utah County where their subscribers are going to 
almost entirely be from, but, but that's, you know, I like to think that, um, that media outlets are putting, um, you know, telling the truth and, and being ethical and, and, um, speaking truth to power as, as, as high as anything, just as we expect the court system to uphold, um, fairness and justice and things like that. But so, so even on stories that weren't really directly related to the church, the overarching kind of the unwritten rule at the newspaper was to make the church look good. Like, even if this doesn't really have anything else to do with the church, just make sure the church looks good. I'm actually really glad you mentioned that because I forgot something key. Yes. And when, um, I mean, generally a crime story is just going to be right. Just a dude that's Mm -hmm. like, you know, taking just done some crime of some kind, but, but there, when there was, uh, church directed stories, um, I'm going to say her name because I feel she's doing, she's promulgating a lot of problems. Her name is Janelle Pugmire. She's covered the LDS church for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for the daily Herald, but they're, they're like just such, they're so overly promotional of the LDS church. It's not, it's not actual journalism. It's, it's public relations as much as just about as much as, the church PR department and, mm-hmm. and the publisher um, would rent long. He would come in and he would like, when she, when she'd be writing the story and he would be like checking in with her to make sure that it was positive, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, just like, what the fuck? Like um, this is just, so I, I wonder how they're handling this hotline thing. But um that's just that I just thought that was just so um antithetical to the mission of journalism. Yeah. Um and I and it and it gets beyond Provo. I there's a free newspaper that comes down at least to this county here in um central Utah and um her, her because the that paper is owned by the Daily Herald, her stories make it down here as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and um it's just not, um, it's not cool. So the publisher, Rhett Long, he's a member of the church, but he's not, like, the paper is owned by him. It's not owned by the church, or? It was, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't own it anymore. It's, it's new ownership. And if you, I remember reading an Indeed review in maybe like a half year ago where it was saying that, it got worse after him too. Like there was a, um, the new ownership wasn't really interested in hard hitting and then, you know, even less interested than, than Rhett Long was in doing, um, you know, hard hitting pieces. Mm-hmm. And, and there was, and so like a ton of staff left, even including the editors I mentioned. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, so is that because I think that's one thing that that members outside of the LDS church, or sorry, members of the LDS church who are outside of Utah, I don't think they fully understand how much the church indirectly or directly like seems to control everything. But right. it sounds like like at your newspaper, members 
excuse me, members of the church, even though they may not have been directly instructed by the church to make the church look good, just because of the way the church behaves and conditions its members, the primary focus of your the newspaper you worked at was to do PR for the church, not necessarily journalism. Yeah, I, I mean, and that the LVS church beat was part of a larger operation that was covering crime, of course, and like the Utah County Commission and the Provo City Council and the Orem City Council and stuff, right? But, mm-hmm. but I mean, the content that's most read is is LDS Church right, stuff almost <laughs> always, and, or like, like or like BYU Sports would be the would be the the next top one, right? So, which they covered as well, which is fine. I'm not that's fine. That's cover it, but they should, you know, that's, that's normal. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it wasn't, it was, it was antithetical to journalism and the, yes, the LDS church fosters a culture where, um, I think that, that makes people do things without, without even being asked that are going to be favorable. I remember somebody close to me being like, well, what if, I just think that they're they're like I don't I don't think I think the LDS church um, or the church is of course they said needs to just um, be needs to have like people defending it. I'm like the in this whole culture is mm-hmm. defended. You have you know I don't think the church is asking the fair Mormon people to do what they do. They're mm-hmm. not asking the Daily Herald to do positive LDS stories. They're not uh, maybe maybe they have maybe their PR department. Yeah, it's for things. I don't, but you, the, you, I think you get the idea that they don't need this, to. Yeah, I did this myself as a believer. Yeah. I wrote for, I wrote for a a business that does websites that generates posit, uh, you know, uh, um, positive LDS content. And I was more than happy to do it. I never had a a bishop or anybody ask me to do that, you know. And even mm-hmm. if even if my view is wrong that the LDS church isn't purposely fostering the culture that's the reality you know so it's it's not there's a whole there's a whole other layer beyond just beyond just like i think that you know like it's 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 more than just obviously like a a calling or a church assignment to any non-mormon listeners so i know like for me living in the pacific northwest outside of the united states like in canada the church is a lot smaller Um, So since I've left the church, like we haven't really had any outreach from the ward. Nobody really seems to give a shit that we left. And so it's easy to kind of leave the church behind when you're in Utah. Like, what's it like trying to leave the church when the church is always in your face? Um, I have gotten contacted three different times Mm -hmm. by ward missionaries or missionaries to like, full-time mission two of them were full-time missionaries two different occasions um and i'm still wondering who sent i i think they the second time they were sent to me because they didn't come with the word missionary so i don't know if it was a landlord if it was a family member but it would probably be one of like only three or four people because only the only all those people know my address except for if they see it on thrivebeyondreligion.com and so um so, so it's just like, oh my God, like, it's crazy to be, and it's not, and beyond, beyond those, beyond those uh, people coming to my door, I also get a ward newsletter from the bishop 
every <laughs> every month that's just saying the most like pie in the sky sorts of things, and I that's that it's just annoying. And so finally, I did. I actually asked a friend down here who who I knew from college if he could give me his because theoretically, if I was LDS, I'd be in his ward, and so. Um, I said, can you give me the uh, the bishop's number, and I can just call and say that I'm not I'm not LDS. So this just I just would appreciate this this not happening. Mm-hmm. He did not he did not provide that, and so finally I just looked. His the bishop's name was on the a newsletter, so I just um you know, did some research and I think I found his number because since I left a message for, for that, at that number asking for no more contact, um, I have not gotten any, it's only been a couple of months, but. So they, but yeah, were, like, <laughs> they're sending you this newsletter cause they think you're a less active member, even though you've resigned or. Oh yeah. Sorry. I didn't clarify that. So I resigned in July of 2016. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of doing that is to try to not be, to not be like contacted, contacted. Yeah. But this is such an alternative reality in in rural Utah. Like it's even like worse than it's a degree worse than like Northern Utah because it's, it's even more the lifestyle and it's even like beyond that, like one of the, I, I, I know about 15 Mormon fundamentalist groups in Utah. One of them is headquartered here. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, and, and they have like holiness to the Lord above their doors as if they're trying to say like, they're the true Mormons. They're the ones that are, that are (laughs) doing a pure, you know, pure, more purely and right. And, and so that's the battle down here. It's like, there's, there's probably more, fundamentalist Mormons and there are ex-Mormons down here. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, so it's a whole other world. So yeah. So if you, if you resign and then you move to rural Utah, you're, you're probably going to still be pestered by church people. And so did they like, did they think you were a member of the church or were you, a, um, or were they contacting you as like an investigator? I think they, well, let me let me try to paint a, like a picture. Oh, and also I've gotten um, visits from until two months ago when I left that voicemail. I would get visits every month from for the for fast offerings. And I live in a trailer, so it's like thank right. you, like a like a, a corporation <laughs> with a hundred billion dollar investment fund is going to yeah. non-members in trailers asking for money. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all right, but um. Yeah, so I think the 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 idea like almost it's almost a hundred percent Mormon, right? Uh-huh. Or yeah. with with a few fundamentalists, and yeah. so it's like I don't even know if there's like a thought. Mm-hmm. They're just like fish in water, right? And so it's like, yeah. oh, there's people in those trailers who are not LDS. So <laughs> we're gonna go, and, and uh, maybe they even go like, oh, God has put them in this in this. <laughs> It's, it's I would I thought I had thoughts like that as a right. as a believer. Yeah. Like they've put they've put us in in this land in this area so that we have the opportunity. There's they're gonna have so many opportunities to be privy to the gospel mm-hmm. by being down here. And so we need to make sure to do our part. And so uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the 
it's at the very least there's the attitude of oh there's like the three um non LDS people in like the neighborhood so so let's let's, let's go tell them about it so who was com- was it like deacons or teachers or something like 14 year olds coming to get fast offerings or yeah it was and so they just thought you were a member of the ward cuz you live in about fucking nowhere utah or no because the, the uh okay so that one time here here's why i know so they would go around the doors and one time when i was actually speaking with a member of the thrive of the thrive group down here yeah. um who was helping me jumpstart my car so i could go see my kids um i there was somebody who was driving in the car as he as he was like watching the deacons or teachers like I guess teachers do that, but they, right. They soliciting for money. And, and that guy was my landlord. And mm-hmm. uh, day one, when I signed my contract to be here, um, I, he, he, uh, somehow found out that I, I can't remember how it went, how that went down, but, but I told him I'm not LDS and he, he confronted me about that as to why, I'm not LDS anymore, and he asked. He's like, "Why?" And, um, but, but the what I'm trying to say is, is that he. It seems that the person who was over, um, fast offerings, over the teachers that asked for fast offerings, n- knows that I'm not LDS, <laughs> and he's sending. He's sending his. He's sending his. He's sending the 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 kids to my door anyway. Like, this is just out of the Twilight Zone. Like, that's why I'm laughing. This is definitely horrible and uh, and annoying, but I'm just laughing because it's like I can't even imagine a town functioning this way. Like, this is so bizarre. And I think if we've got any listeners who are outside of Utah, it's just going to strike them as just as bizarre of, like, like why would you do that? Yeah. Why would, what are you trying to achieve? Like, there's – we um we we happily took like do not contacts on our home teaching list so that we had less work to do. It was like <laughs> you know everybody's getting six families and and three of yours are do not contacts so you know there you go you only actually really have to do home teaching for three families. Um, but yeah. that's like that's like making extra work and it sounds like they're kind of happy to go give you the newsletter and they're happy to try and reclaim you and. And it's just like, this is like children of the corn kind of shit of just like weird teenagers showing up at your door trying to get money. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I feel bad for the kids because it's like they have to come and they, have, you know, and they're, they're used to, you know, they have their assumptions because they're kids. And so it's probably like jolting for them to, I just, I just really don't, I, I think it's not fair to put those kids in the situation when I have told them over and over, like, I'm, oh yeah, you know, and I don't know if he, I don't know if the landlord, like, like I listened politely to his, about his Navu trip on that, when we signed the contract, I don't know if he's viewing, like, it, maybe he's taking whatever he, ex, um, encounters he's had with me regarding Mormonism to feel that I, maybe I still have sentiment for it or so. I don't, I'm speculating because no, I no. don't know. I, I, uh, like I can remember being a member of the church, like an active member, anybody's kind of politeness, you take his interest and, and maybe the spirit has pricked their hearts and they're ready to hear the gospel. 
Right. So you don't, like anybody being like politely listening to you talk about your shitty corn bust on the weekend. You're like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is my member missionary opportunity. The Lord has prepared this person because they didn't reject me outright. <laughs> yes, you know the mindset perfectly. Right. Yeah. So I can. I don't think you're speculating too hard to say like you being polite to your landlord while he's talking about his Nauvoo trip, he's going home and telling his wife and be like, you know, there's this ex member uh, who just signed a lease here, but I really think, I really think that the spirit spoke to him today. I think I'm going to keep sending him the shitty newsletter and send some 14 year olds around to his house to see if he'll give him any money. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't think that's a bridge too far, right? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. So I think like this is an eye this has been an eye opener for me just about like what it's like to be ex Mormon in Utah is like it's because I keep some as I start to the further I get away from the church and the longer that I've been out it's kind of like I start looking at ex Mormons as as angry people who are just can't who just can't let it go but when the church is always in your face like that I can see why it's harder to let it go I can see why people like make a point to wear sleeveless shirts and get tattoos and grow their hair long and do all those things because it's like the church is in my face all the time. And I've even resigned and the church is in my face. So now I have to do everything I can to project to the world that I do not want to have anything to do with Mormonism. I have long hair and this is precisely why, because <laughs> this is precisely why, because if I were in, like LA or, you know, it's just anywhere outside of like Utah or Southern Idaho. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Um, but yeah. And I, I just would have nothing to do with the church except my kids are going to, going to be raised in it. And so it has to be part of my life still aside from, aside from the culture, the, the other things I mentioned, as long as I live in a place like, like mm -hmm. where I live now. So. so why did you decide to settle in rural Utah and, and start a thrive beyond religion community? Oh, I won't be here forever. I I moved down here to work for the newspaper. Okay. Um, and so it was just wanting to do my craft is the only reason. Um, okay. And then once I was so then Thrive got started, and um, and then I real I, they have a map at Thrive Beyond Religion slash groups that showed where there are and are not groups, and I noticed that there was not one in uh, where I live. And so, um, I, my heart went out to, even though I'm, even though I've, I'm past, I'm on the other side of the trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, I, my heart truly did. I don't mean to bra try to, uh, sorry if this comes off as bragging, but my heart went out to people because who might be going through those, be in the immediate wake of, of losing they're losing their belief and thus, you know, having their identity and worldview shattered. Mm -hmm. um, I thought specifically that if I had lived in, you know, an alternative reality, almost like, <laughs> like, um, like here that um, I would not have made it um, mm -hmm. because I went through severe depression as it was where there was more support groups. It was still Utah, but there's like, if you look at, the map on Thrive Beyond Religion slash groups, there's a plethora of, of ex-Mormon groups in Northern Utah. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, let's do this. Let's do this group. Um, if there's any help, or it's not therapy and Thrive Beyond Religion makes that clear. But if, uh, you know, having our, 
if having been able to talk weekly about our experiences and struggles with family and and our stories can help, then let's do that. So we've been doing it for about um, almost seven months, and I I just want to be able to get the word out because um, I think it it'd be hard to know that there's any sort of resources um, when you live in the netherworlds down like a place down here. <laughs> well, for sure. Like for me as well, there was, uh, there are a bunch of ex Mormons in the ward that I live in. Um, but, um, like some of them, even it's like they had to leave the church twice. They stopped going because they lost interest. And then we kind of started hanging out together. And then, you know, they start asking me why I leave the church and I give them a list of historical issues or whatever. And then they're finding out about that info after they've already left. And it's like, they're angry all over again and they've got to leave the church all over again, but there was no kind of group to go to. So it was like, well, I stopped going to church. And then these people that is like kind of acquainted with after I saw, they're like, do you want to go to the bar? You know? And then we kind of become friends that way because they know I'm not going to church anymore we kind of have this thing in common that we both used to go to church. Um, but there was no community to go to, and I didn't even know how to get one started. So does Thrive kind of give you the template for getting a post-Mormon community kind of started, or how does it work? Um, they've started a, a group, a kind of a program for where they invited leaders to, uh, to learn how to um, – how to do it well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, it's it's very small D democratic. You just you can just go on to thrivebeyondreligion.com and you know and send a message saying you'd like to you'd like to do a group. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, very grassroots and and I think that's I think that's good. They like it that way. They've also um, said that they're, you know, they don't really want to like be very con- like at all controlling of mm-hmm. at all of the people. So it's just a really good community based thing. Um, and so, uh, and, and they, the message, the messaging of thrive is also like, it's like, yeah, like thrive, like succeed, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 it very much has like the X X Mormon idea to it that mm-hmm. you want to be able to move past and just do great things in your life. Um, uh, you know, and you don't always have to be, you know, in the uh, dark nights of the soul. Right. Mm-hmm. And of, of, of uh, recovering from Mormonism. So what kind of things from Thrive do you find, have you found have been like the most successful of becoming, helping people become an XX Mormon and kind of thriving and succeeding? Well, I definitely want to, I've had nine or 10 people sign up and then I've, usually there's only around one most weeks. And so I really hope the more people can come. I think, a, you know, Gen, with Gen Z and there's a college here, so college, so I hope, hopefully there can be people that are, that find out about it and come, but, um, we've, we've talked about our stories and then we've talked about it. I mean, it's, it's still been pretty ex Mormony to be honest, um, stories and then, uh, situate day-to-day circumstances we have, or just, you know, um, just things that are said that are bizarre or, um, dealing with family, and um, and we watched the banner of he- we watched, watched some of the banner of heaven, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also been conversations about to it a little bit about like um, moving on as well. Yeah. So still pretty grassroots kind of small group in, in, uh, in the area you're at right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I am. That's, I think, um, yeah, I, I think probably in, you know, any, any group, any, I wouldn't be surprised to hear if any group in Thrive that's been only, you know, shy of seven months old is still getting going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember when I was, I was in Davis County when I lost my faith, mm-hmm. living in Bountiful, which is of course named after the Book of Mormon. And um, <clears throat> as is the place I live in now, but they, <laughs> Um, that group was really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. that was, there was, it was kind of like a, a thrive group before there was thrive. And so that was, that was really great. And so uh, that's another, I, I thought specifically about that group mm-hmm. before, like, as I was debating whether or not to start this group. Um, and, and I thought how that helped me for, for a while. And so, um, so there should be something like that down here. Yeah. Okay. Um, so before we wrap up here, anything else you'd like to, any other final thoughts or anything on, on Thrive or on your story you'd like to share? Um, I think it's probably important in the event that, LDS people are less than any LDS people who are going to hear it is that there's this, the um, stereotype of that an ex Mormon just likes to have drink a ton of booze, have a ton of sex just isn't true. Like I, I, I hardly even drink coffee. I'm fine with drinking it, but, and I do sometimes like I'll go to, you know, as long as I get like the whipped cream loaded stuff from <laughs> Starbucks, but I like, I don't drink. Um, it's fine if people do, but I don't and definitely have um, had sex only when I've been in like in a, in a real relationship. And so, so yeah, I, I just really hope that that stereotype continues to go away. Mm-hmm. I also want to say that I, um, we we were talking at one point about the validity of the CES letter. And I, I think that the fact that the church release started releasing those essays and well, in less than a year, yeah. in less than a year after easily after the, after the CES letter was released, the LDS church put out their first gospel topics essay, if you will. And then the rest followed in the year in 2014 after the CES letter came out in 2013. So I think the I think the church's reaction, or the timing of of those essays, with respect to the CES letter, mm-hmm. you know, speaks to speaks volumes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably it. Other than that, um, 
if you go to thrive beyond religions dot thrive beyond religion dot com slash groups there's a map there's a pin in the middle of utah and um since yeah there's no there's no other pins around it as of as of today mm-hmm. and and so if they if they go to that there's a hyperlink to the name of the group people can click on that and then there will be the information um about where to where and when to meet on the event that anybody listening is um in this area right or you you can you can name the area you're in if you feel comfortable i just don't i don't ever want to say where people live unless i'm talking about myself so oh feel so that, you can, yeah, you can tell is, us where your group's at <laughs> okay yeah so yeah. the title is thrive san pete county right so so any ex-mormons in the san pete county that's manti right Manti, Mount Pleasant, Ephraim, Gunnison, yeah. Right. So or if you left my... the yeah, if you left the church because they canceled the Manti pageant, this is this is where you want to be. I'm guessing. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. That's that was actually one of the great, great. That was my favorite uh, part of being at the newspaper. Is 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 um, the uh, how upset devout LDS people here were about the church. It was, they were going to trash the uh, paintings in the, in the Manti temple. Mm-hmm. And, and they, that was like, you know, this huge, this huge issue that they had. And mm-hmm. I, I think how the, the church, given how the church responded to that, I think they knew that was a, that was a big deal because, um, because they have, they have their adherence wrapped around their finger down here, mm-hmm. you know. Generally, so. Okay, awesome. Well, it was great getting to know you, Korhor, and really appreciate you uh, sharing your story and talking about Thrive Beyond Religion. Um, Thank you, Bishop Jensen. I really, yeah. really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So, if anybody's looking for uh, for fellowship post Mormonism. ThriveBeyondReligion.com, and then look for the San Pete County group. Um, if if you like what you heard today, uh, if you're interested on in coming on the show, uh, feel free to send us an email at unmormon at gmail.com.